have any of you ever had a, um, well, this seems good to me moment? Like, have any of you ever had a moment when you were like, I think, I think this is good enough? It also, you could say something like, we good, right? You ever had those moments where you're like, okay, I'm working at this, and I think this is going to work here, whatever it is I've come up with. Um, if there's anything that could define me, it would probably be that idea. Like, this is good. Let's just go with this right here. Um, and especially with like things like Ikea furniture, that happens with that. Let me ask you, how many of you uh, really love instruction step-by-step? Step? Raise your hand, okay? And how many of you just kind of troubleshooted and you'll just kind of live with what you got? Okay, good, my people, my tribe. Okay, so uh, I, I've, I've mentioned this before, but there's a lot of you who are new over the last couple of years, so I just wanna kind of let you in on a story. I'm not good at following instructions. I'm not good at reading directions. I'm not good at like, do this exact thing. I've never have been. Um, and I probably could have avoided a lot of problems in life if I would be, but I'm just not. I'm an Enneagram 8, so deal with it, right? So, like, that's what I find. And I remember years ago, Suzanne and I bought our first house in Tupelo, and she went away for a weekend. And this is still when she wanted me to be like this, you know, guy that could put things together and make things beautiful in the house. And I kept trying to tell her, like, I'm not that person, but I still tried to conform. So she left for a weekend and she said, I really want a toilet paper dispenser put up on the wall next to the toilet. And I kept telling her, we just need to just do a toilet paper dispenser on the floor and that's that. And she said, no. And I said, okay. So she left and she left me the box for the toilet paper dispenser and just said, just get the tools because any normal person can know what tools to use and can kind of use some common sense. So I at least grabbed, I think, a screwdriver um, and duct tape and glue. You can get an idea how this went, right? So I remember it was really thin uh, drywall, and so we had to use toggles, right? You have to drill the hole big enough for the toggle, and then um, put the screw in there. And so I remember, like, I didn't even really measure it. I just kind of put it on the wall, and it's like, that's good. And so then I was like, and the holes will go there. No level, just so you know, no level was involved. There wasn't a level within a hundred yard radius of me at this moment, okay? And so I remember I did all this, and then I, it said use a drill for five-eighths of an inch, and I'm like, whatever. And so I just kind of got a drill bit and started drilling holes in, in, the, in the wall. Like, that's what I did. And it was like, uh, good, good enough. And then I tried to um, put the toggle in and it didn't work. So I just took the, the, the drill bit I had and started making circles in the wall. No joke, started making circles in the wall to make it bigger. Uh, and then I took the toggles and I shoved the toggles in the wall. Um, and then when I put the toilet paper dispenser up, I looked at it and it was kind of falling out. So I went and got glue. Um, and so then I glued it to stay on the wall. And then I thought, it looks a little crooked, but we good right? And so that was our toilet paper dispenser. Suzanne came home, and she just thought, dear Lord, like, actually, you said other things I can't say, but it was something along the lines of, dear Lord, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? Why are you this way? You know, those kind of things. And I thought, we good. Like, that's what I thought. Like, we good, right? And she's like, no, we're not. I'm like, no. Nah. So, and, and, and I was thinking about 
like this passage, and I was thinking about what I wanted us to talk about. And honestly, this in many ways is what's happening here. I know you're like, oh, really? Not that bad. Like, we find in this passage, they go completely off script. They just go off script. The, the leaders of the church 2,000 years ago go off script, and they're like not following the directions that you're supposed to be following, and they don't have a level nearby, and they're trying to guesstimate and bring their best supposition to this, and I just thought, that's wild. That's wild. And I really think that there's something in it for us that if we're willing to let ourselves just kind of examine it this way, I think we're going to find way more fear and also a lot more comfort. It's just a really strange thing because they're trying to interact with really big things the best they can, and yet they realize they're going off script in many ways to what's been handed to them so far. Now, Jamin last week and preached a message, and the message was about blessing what God has blessed. And we have to keep in mind that they have 2,000 years of history on their side in this moment. 2,000 years of history of, of how you do their faith, of how you interact with the world. And what they know is that the Gentiles must conform to Jewish rituals, laws, and practices. That's what they know. No question about it. Why? Because this is how Jewish people knew outsiders were following God. That you could be an outsider, a Gentile, and you could come and serve and follow this God, Yahweh, but they needed lots of rituals and practices and laws and rules and morals and regulations to know that you wanted to go with this God. And these are words given from God to Moses on a mountain, and they've been running with it for that long. And then we see here that Paul and Barnabas, they've been traveling all over Asia Minor, and they are preaching this gospel. Now listen, these are Jewish men who believe the gospels for Gentiles, and yet they also more than likely are thinking things like, and surely there's some things for the Gentiles to conform to. And when they go to these areas, and the Spirit's moving, the Spirit's moving, and people are coming to faith, and yet these people coming to faith aren't becoming Jewish. Like they're not kind of stepping within the bounded sets that these people, Paul and Barnabas, always knew to be true. And they found that because the Spirit was moving, and even though these people weren't like following these rituals, there was healings happening, there was salvation, there was like speaking in tongues, part of the evidence for them of how they were kind of gauging, do these people, are these people really bumping into Yahweh? And we've talked about this before, that Jesus is big on judging fruit. He's really big on judging fruit. There's a story of Jesus coming across a fig tree, and he goes for a fig, and there's no fig there because it's just lots of leaves, and he curses it. Everybody's like, what are you doing? He comes back the next day, and it's dead. And what we all realize is that he was trying to get across this, like fig trees represented the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the time, and that all these leaders had all these leaves but no fruit because what's really important to God isn't the show but the life, like the fruit. Do you have evidence that the Spirit's at work in your life? 
And Paul lays it out. Do you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? These are the things that they're looking for. So the Spirit's at work here, and Paul and Barnabas is preaching a gospel, and they're realizing that this movement isn't confined to the walls that they thought of what does it mean to be holy and near to God. Now, this is big, and this is huge, because the laws provided a path. Literally, rabbis would call the law, the Pentateuch, they would call it the path. Because the belief was, if you just listen to these things and follow these things, you'll be on the right path. So what do you do if you take those things away? Can you still stay on the path? And this is what they're trying to wrestle with here. And so they bring all these experiences that go against so much scripture and tradition back to the leaders in Jerusalem, and they have a powwow, a council, a discussion. Now look at verse 4. We'll go through 7 here. It said, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything that God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party, the Pharisees, which by the way, it says believers, so they're followers of Jesus and they're Pharisees. And what Pharisees really meant were like local pastors. So there's a gathering of all these local pastors. And so these local pastors stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Now, what Peter addresses is that, hey, listen, like, they're not talking crazy. I've had these experiences. Like, matter of fact, I was kind of first in line with this, didn't know what to do with it. And so, like, Peter's showing up, and Peter's talking about things, and now they have a really, 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 really big decision to make. Now, let me clarify a couple of things. Let me just kind of pause here. You clearly have two thoughts starting to emerge that could possibly bring dissension. We clearly have that going on here. We have two sides forming here that could really stretch things out and ultimately bring dissension among this group. And yet, and this is important, catch this, they are not letting their differences or convictions get in the way of good conversations. Hear that. They don't let their differences or convictions get in the way of conversations. They don't hide because of those convictions. They actually try to, to lean in. They end up asking more questions than like trying to give answers. Like they're asking things. Matter of fact, when you read the word discussion, it probably says it better in the ESV. The word discussion is better translated debate or questioning. They spent their time questioning and debating, questioning and debating. Much of it, it says, over and over and over. They keep turning this time and time and time again, trying to wrestle this thing out. So you have Paul and Barnabas laying the groundwork. You have Peter, like, talking through his experiences as well. You have believing Pharisees, these pastors who are saying, hey, they need to follow the law, and all this is happening at once. And James is kind of the, the, the mediator, ultimately, who has to take all this information in and then try to summarize and make a call that they can all go with. Just think about this. This is, this is how you got here. 
unless you're Jewish. This right here, this is how you got here. From these people doing this kind of stuff. I mean, it's wild. And don't miss this. These are people who are following the same Savior, but they also have very different opinions and matters with, that constitutes the holiness. Like they have very different opinions on this about what holiness should really look like and be. And yet they're, they're living in that tension. They're having the conversation. They're not letting it go. They're not saying, well, after like maybe a, a day of this, we'll move on. We don't know how long they were doing this. You know, when you think about the Nicene Creed, for example, that was a, that was a 40 to 60 year experience of wrestling things out in the fourth century. People taking things and going, what about this? What about that? How do we do with this? What do you think here? And so they're wrestling hard and they're wrestling well. And Paul in this situation, this is what's kind of wild to me. Paul in this situation is, is really like this progressive liberal, isn't he? Which is why, listen, if you're a woman or a person of color, I get that you probably have been hurt, maybe harmed, by ways that Paul has been talked about and that he is misogynistic or does not speak out against slavery. And that still may be true for us today in how we can read some things with him. I, I totally get that. I just want us to see something here. At this time, in this period, in this moment, Paul is the progressive liberal here. Paul's the one standing on the other side that isn't the traditional side trying to pull things out for them to have a bigger, wider, longer, harder discussion. That's wild, right? Because that's not how we would classify Paul today, at least for a lot of us. But this is what's happening here. He is trying to, like, stretch the conversation. But it's, this is important. Paul doesn't, like, show up and roughshod over the group. He doesn't show up and is like, you're all idiots, boom. You don't get it, boom, right? Like, he, he's not, like, tweeting them from a distance, you know, LOL, can't believe you think those ways, peace out. Like, he, he actually is showing up because he realizes something. This discussion goes against 2,000 years' worth of tradition and history. I better come in humble. I better come in understanding. I better come in low. And that's not how, if we are honest, how many times a, a left side comes into a conversation and trying to expand conversations. So he comes in here as this progressive, as he's trying to stretch things out, and he realizes that the questioning and the debating is the answer. It's not the answer from the questioning and debating. It's the questioning and debating. There's, there's the result you're trying to get to. Because if we can just sit around and keep wrestling this out, maybe we can get to something that's like, good. This will work. Let's go with this. And the summary they come up with, the thing they say that is a must for people to really keep with bearing fruit, they say it's four things. Verse 20, it says, Instead, we should write to them, instead of doing all these laws of Moses, all these things to be a really good Jewish person, four things are important. Abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual morality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Okay? <laughs> there you go. And you're like, this, that's the result of this thing? 
like these four things, like, okay, so don't go eat the food in front of an idol, you know, like if you, if you go to your favorite restaurant and there's something put up there, like, well, don't take that food, like that's for whatever, like don't do that, okay, like if you strangled an animal in your backyard, like don't eat it, and then if you decide to take the blood from that strangled animal, like don't drink it, and then sexual morality, okay, sounds good. Now, that's not it, though. He's actually trying to say, he's trying to speak to something culturally. Let's just think here. What would be happening, what's the wallpaper in the room in the early first part of the first century? What's happening there? Well, a couple of things. One, the goddess Aphrodite is on a roll, right? Like all over this, this Roman world, one of the main temples you'd always come across, and it was a really popular temple, was the, was, was the goddess Aphrodite. Because your entry fee into the temple was to get with a prostitute. That's what you did. And then there were like rituals and things you would do in there. So sex was the entry, entry point into that. The, the, the Roman emperor at this time was a guy named Caligula. And I'm not going to go into details about Caligula, but I'm just going to say like the, the dude had some stuff going on, all right? Like, he was known for being, like, if here is licentiousness, Caligula was in the other state, all right? Like, if this was the line, and he was known for throwing these parties where it would be like a celebration of his deity because that's what an emperor was considered, a deity. And then he would, like, say, now let's just kind of do all these things together. Really unspeakable things. This is what they're talking about. This is what they're trying to hit at. They're like, listen, for you to belong socially, you've got to go to temple and make sacrifices because your neighbors are doing it, or you're invited to these soirees that celebrate Caligula, and they're saying, don't do this stuff. That's the zeitgeist of the time, and don't get caught up with the zeitgeist of the time because if you do, you will then conform and it will become idolatry because idolatry is any time we say this is enough instead of God. Whether that's being accepted socially or belonging somewhere, whatever it may be. So this is what they're speaking to. All this stuff is happening throughout the Roman world and all these Gentiles are exposed to it. And they're going, don't conform to those things. Be willing to criticize it, poke holes at it, and don't engage it. Now, from verses 22 to 35, we see now this interesting pattern starting to develop. Because here now, especially in this letter that they're going to write to the Gentiles, um, there's a certain idea, a phrase that I think you'll pick up on that they want us to, to see. Start verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Verse 24, it has seemed good to us having come in one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Verse 28, for it has seemed good, these are all in the ESV, it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, 
and from what has been strangled and from sexual morality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. All right, do you see the pattern? Here's the line. It seems good. It seems good. This is the result of the best thinkers and leaders with the most authority in the church at this time. It seems good. That's what they kind of landed on. Not like, y'all, this is it, boom, done, in the discussion. Not like, it's so clear to us, it's all over the place, and this is the truth. No, it seems good. Like, that doesn't really inspire a lot of confidence when you think about it. Like, it seems good. Matter of fact, the, the, the word that they're using here for seem good is dokeo. It means to be of opinion and to suppose. To be of opinion and to suppose. Like, it's like, hey, Robin, what do you think is the best restaurant in town? This is what I think. <laughs> and then there's like a group of us. We all talk about it for a while. What's the best restaurant in town? What is it? What is it? Okay, Global Cafe. Okay, that's it. Global Cafe, that's it. And then what's number two, Chick-fil-A? Boom. Okay, great. There you go. This is it. This is our opinion. You asked us as people who are leading to give you our opinion on this. This is what we suppose. The best of our ability, trying to listen to one another and to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit cares about where you eat. Like all these things, this is the response we've come up with. Now just think about what you're reading. I'm not making this up. Just think about it. Think about, like I don't think this is something we catch a lot of times. Just think about the magnitude of this moment that the best that the apostles and elders and leaders of this movement that you're a part of, that I'm a part of, that you've based your life upon, that I've based my life upon, the reason why you're all sitting here is because they supposed. They guesstimated the best they could. That's kind of wild, right? I mean, we're going like, well, good guess. <laughs> like, good, good supposition on that one. You know, you kind of did a good hypothesis around this. And I know, doesn't that, that kind of feels scary at first? Like, that's what they were doing? And yet, they were like trying to take all the experiences and looking at Scripture and, and examining tradition and saying, all these things together, if we shake it all up, what do we get? We believe that this is where the Spirit is leading us. And the reality at hand was paradoxical. It was mind-baffling. There was a history of inconsistencies that they couldn't look past. They had 1,500 years, 2,000 years worth of consistencies. Like, well, then why has it God said something different by now? Or why is he doing it this way? Or why did he do it this way before? All these things they had to wrestle with. All these things they had to question. All these things they had to debate. We see it all happen right here. But in all those paradoxes and differences... It says that they came to one accord. Now, we've talked about this word, came to one accord. We did it back in the second sermon back in, in September. The word is homothumaden. Homothumaden. It, it means to rush along together. They came to a conclusion that they were all willing together to rush along with. Was it, was it perfect? Do you think all the Pharisees in there felt really comfortable with it? No. 
Do you think Paul and Barnabas are going, like, this is exactly what I wanted? No. Like, nobody got to be fully happy in this situation. Nobody got exactly what they wanted here. But they were willing to go in unison together, not in uniformity together, but in unity together to say, let's go do this. Let's trust the Spirit and try this out. Now, this is important for us because churches, I believe, have lost the art of discussion. Churches have lost the ability to wrestle and coming to a place of being okay with, well, this seems best to us. We don't know how to do that. In turn, what's happened is we, we find ourselves running and hiding behind doctrines translated to us by particular people in particular times with particular leanings. And we try to keep a tradition simply because it feels comfortable. Does that mean the things that were handed to us were wrong? Traditions that we're comfortable with are wrong? Not at all. I'm not trying to say that. What I'm saying, though, is that we don't know how to have good discussions. We only know how to try to rush to some kind of, this is it. This has got to be it. You got to see it this way. If you don't see it this way, it's not legitimate. And we wonder why we've become a meme to people outside of this space. Like, we wonder why we just kind of become a meme to the world around us. Like, no place is divided more than the church. No place works less together about how to have conversations in the church. You throw a rock, and you'll, hit, you'll find you a church, you throw a rock, that'll get you your exact views and reinforce them to you every week. And you get to feel comforted, and I'm in the right tradition, and this is all going well. Until you meet other people who aren't like you. You're like, wait, you follow Jesus too? Well, you're wrong. Boom. Okay, don't know if we can do that one. Richard Rohr, I'll put it in your bulletin, it's long, so bear with me. He said, if you are to live on this earth, you cannot bypass the necessary tension of holding contraries and inconsistencies together. Daily, ordinary experiences will teach you non-duality in a way that is no longer theoretical or abstract. It becomes obvious in everything and everybody, every idea and every event, almost hidden in plain sight. Everything created is mortal and limited. And if you look long enough, paradoxical. By paradox, I mean something that initially looks contradictory or impossible, but in a different frame or a different level is in fact deeply true. I'm talking about just holding the tension, not necessarily finding a resolution or closure to paradox. This is important, this next part. We must agree to live without resolution, at least for a while. This is very difficult for most people, largely because we have not been taught how to do this mentally or emotionally. We didn't know we could or even should. I think this opening and holding pattern is the very name and description of faith. Unfortunately, faith largely became believing things to be true or false, which is intellectual assent instead of giving people concrete practices so they could themselves know how to open up, hold on, and allow an infilling from another source. The chasm within our culture that's led to our, this chasm in our culture, this is what's led to our leadership 
trying to have different discussions. Like, it's this right here that has led our leadership at our church, these 11 people that sit around and wrestle with things, it's this that's made us go, like, we've got to look at, like, what's happening in our culture today and how that there aren't conversations. We don't know how to sit in the same room together. And we think, that's just wasted effort, Robin. Just go on to the answer. Okay, well, then you're not here if it's wasted effort. You're here because that was the practice 2,000 years ago. So that means that that was the practice, and it worked for them, for the apostles and the elders and the leaders of the first century church. Maybe it's good enough for us. Now, to try to help visually stimulate this, I tend to go off visuals. I started doodling with this a while back, started working with it with, with Jamin and Drew and and other leaders, and going, okay, how, how could this look and work? And so if you've, you, anybody who knows me know, knows I love whiteboarding, right? I didn't say waterboarding. I said whiteboarding. And so I love, I love whiteboarding, and I love putting things up there to help kind of like get me going and thinking. And this eventually became something that was helpful enough, so helpful to a lot of you, um, I decided to put it up on like nicer graphics, all right? So Here's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of walk through this for, and just try to give you a visual of like what we're trying to do. Because I know some of you, when you go places and they find out where you go to church, they're like, what are you doing there? You know, and this is what church folk do. They're so bored. They got nothing else to do except to think about other churches, right? What are you doing there? So here's your answer. Like, just look at these slides, bro. All right, so here you go. So this is a pendulum. And there's a, there's a left and a right side to the pendulum because the pendulum can go both ways. Now, these sides are, are called traditional conservatives. These sides are called progressive liberals. There's two sides here to this pendulum. And if you were to talk to a traditional conservative about what's really important to them, they would say, well, listen, here's what's important. It's piety and truth. Holiness really matters, you know. It really matters here in Scripture, too. Holiness matters. How you connect with God. And then what's also really important is truth. Like, what is real? What is false? Now, on the left side, a progressive liberal, they would say, you know, what's really important is freedom and also love. Now, here's what's really interesting. If you were to say to a conservative, traditional, traditional conservative, Hey, there's no freedom in your piety. They'd say, well, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. So I actually know what my freedom is. I finally know what space to roam in. Confines in that way are good. And if you were to say to a progressive liberal, there is no holiness in your freedom, they would laugh and say, I'm made in the image of God. Like he's asked me to have dominion in this world and to make decisions and to go out. That's ultimate freedom. If you were to say to a traditional conservative, like there's no love in your truth, they would say something on the lines of, but truth is love. Like me telling you the truth is loving you. And if you were to say to a progressive liberal, there is no truth in your love, they would say, well, love is truth. See, it's funny how those things happen. And both these sides get to where they don't really know how to talk to each other. They don't know how to live down. So what they do is they create echo chambers. Now, these echo chambers can be known as CNN or Fox News. 
These echo chambers can be known as X blog, right? Over on this side, or over on this side, or X conference, or whatever else. Like, we're good at that. We're good at reinstating what we all know to be the truth or to be love on one side. And so then, all they really know how to do to talk to each other is to throw little haymakers at each other over the top. Subtweet each other, pick up on the message on one of these news stations, you get it. Write a blog post about another blog post and then write a blog post about the blog post about the blog post and then kind of fill up the comics section and then make lots of opinions known that nobody cares about. Or if you're really fancy, go to a subreddit and boom. So all we didn't really know how to do is to be passive-aggressive and throw our haymakers. Now, here's what's interesting. This is known as identity theology, identity politics, identity sides, whatever side you're on, this is my identity. But here's what we found in our little niche of Memphis, Tennessee, that there are people tired of that. Now, those two sides, it's not wrong to be on a side at all. Would you hear me say that? There are lots of churches that are on one side or another, and that's perfectly fine. Um, but it's also for a right side. I've had people come here, and I've said, why are you here, and what church did you come from? And they'll talk about what traditional conservative church they're from, and they'll say something along the lines of, it was just really traumatizing. Like, I just, there was like no room to breathe. It's like everything was so confined and tight. And I just felt more and more almost like, is this abusive? What's happening to me? I feel so dead inside. And then I've had other people from a progressive liberal side, and I was like, what are you doing here? They're like, well, all they would talk about is how great it is to be progressive and liberal, and there was like no teeth in what they were saying. And we wanted to just come here about Jesus. I've had people literally tell me that. And what we find is there are people trying to leave these places, and they're looking for another space. And they don't even know if they're looking for another space. They just know what space they don't want. And so they get all these people, all these little X's on here that are occupying this space. They don't know what to do with themselves. But they know this. They know that they're tired of the identity politics that they've been subjected to time and again. And they know that they're tired of life. They know that life is more nuanced than just simply giving pro-choice or pro-life. They know that. They know that life is more nuanced than just giving one side A or B or whatever it may be. They know that. And they want to have better discussions, harder discussions. They're scared and freaked out about it. And so this is what we've decided at Christ City to do. We've just decided just to kind of draw a circle around that center section and say, okay, this is where we are, and this is what we'll try to do. We'll just try to reach these people. And notice, it doesn't even color, cover all the X's in that space, does it? Because even though this is a church for anyone, it's not for everyone. It's a church for anyone, but not for everyone. That's the truth. Because there are some that will say, you're not progressive enough on this idea. And I've had to simply say, I'm sorry, and I get it. And I want you to be able to find that place. And on the other side, they would say, you're not stern enough and, 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 and clear enough on this. And I'm like, I get it. I'm sorry. I understand. And there's plenty of places like that for you. Um, this really only works if you're kind of moderate on both sides. And not just moderate, but you're wanting to have a, a wider conversation. That you're not just looking to hear somebody say something and you go, oh, you're wrong. Like I was sitting down with someone recently 
And we were talking about our different opinions on things. And they looked at me and they said, they said, Robin, your views are just as legitimate as mine. And I thought, are you kidding me? Really? Thank you. <laughs> Nobody tells me that. <laughs> I thought, what a gift. I was like, this person gets it. What a gift. We're not at the same place. And their views get to be just as legitimate as mine. Because we're humans and we're that nuanced. We're that complex. And just, just because we want answers doesn't mean that we're meant to have all the answers. Just because we want lots of clarity doesn't mean that that's going to be the best thing for you. And so what we're trying to do the best that we can, uh, Jamin in a message back in November, you go listen to it, it's really good. He talked about, he had this great visual where he said, ultimately we're, we're like a church for, for flyers and kites. Flyers and kites. That you have a person standing on the ground holding a string and you got a kite just kind of rustling in the wind in beautiful ways. You know, flyers are really important because they're very grounded, right? Like they're the priests and the stewards. You know, priests are people who are trying to keep the traditions and rituals intact because they really want us to be able to meet God. And they're stewards of these things, stewards of what's been handed down. And yet, like, if you're just standing there without, without a kite, you're just standing there. Because there's something beautiful about kites, and that kites can, in this beautiful way, move in the wind. Now, a kite without a, a flyer is just a leaf blowing, and who cares? But a kite that has some stability to it, you end up finding these people get to be prophets. They get to talk and see and critique and push on things that are really important. And they also get to be these mystics. They get to be these people who kind of look and go, God is in this somehow and it's deeper than what our groundedness can always understand. And maybe if we're allowing ourselves to see deep, more deeply into it, we'll actually find ourselves feeling more grounded. I couldn't think of a better example of what this church is trying to be and why we're trying to do it. Because if you're on the left side, which there are many of you here, I know at least 50% here, of your views and ideals, the, the, the world has called you an outrage culture because your voices have been taken away and not heard. And I get that. But I want you to know you don't have to have outrage culture here if you don't want. And I know on the right side, because I know at least half of you here, like there's a lot of fear around these people on the left side. You're afraid they're going to start yelling at you. Yeah, right? And in and like trying to take away your thoughts and views, and yet it doesn't have to be that way. It could be that you get to have where you are, they get to have where they are, and both sides get to say, that's a legitimate view. And I think a question mark to it is important too, like, yeah, it's a legitimate view. We're going to wrestle with this. We're going to see where this goes. Hey, by the way, this could be completely wrong. Like, this could be completely wrong. I just want you to know that but I don't think it is because like we see it in Acts 15. We see how like we got here because people were willing to do this right here. Is it going to cost you more? Yeah. Is it going to be scarier? Yeah. Is it, does it mean that you're going to find yourself if you're on the ground and the kite's moving and you're moving with it sometimes? Yeah. It's okay to inch. 
Like that's how kites fly. Hey, kites, does it mean that sometimes you feel like in a holding pattern because the wind's blowing and the person holding the kite isn't moving? Is that okay? Yeah, it's okay. And does it free you up from having to like subtweet each other or throw haymakers at each other, but actually learn how to have conversations and wrestle well? Yeah, it does. And that's what this table we're going to means. We get to bring all of our stuff, all of our wrestling, all of our questions, and then break bread with a person right beside us that does not see it the same way, but says, this Jesus is worth everything in my life. So therefore, I'm going to come partake of his body and his blood. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that as we come to your table, that Jesus would be illuminated to us, to our hearts and our minds, that we would find that um, there's enough space in him to have bigger, harder, wider conversations. And that maybe it's in that container of conversations that you're most clearly seen and realized, and that may even be really attractive to the world because they're finding a place that's not trying to find an identity in one side or another, but to actually see, listen, and hear another person. And so that's what we ask for now, to give us peace with and to find unity with, rushing alongside together because of what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.